Welcome to Horror Nights In Podcast. Scary movies. Uh Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Here's Johnny! You're gonna need a bigger boat. The boogeyman is real. And you found him. Hi guys, and welcome to this episode of Horror Nights and Podcast with your one and only host, me, Crystal. I also have my wonderful co-host, the one and only Roxy the Kitty, who adds in her comments here and there, depending on the topic, and speak of the devil, she literally just walked into the room. Hello, Roxy. How are you? Great. So I upload a new podcast every Monday at noon Eastern Standard Time. I also upload a brand new YouTube video on Wednesday Eastern Standard Time. So on this podcast, we talk about my life, my favorite horror movie of the week that you guys pick, and anything else horror. So thank you so much for being here. I also challenge all of you listening to leave me an iTunes review. It not only makes my days better, it also helps other horror fiends find me. You can also uh, follow me on the socials. So on Twitter at Horror Daddies R Us, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube are all at Horror Nights in Podcasts. So be sure to follow me on there for all the latest horror nights and news. The links for all of my socials, including my YouTube channel, are in the show notes. So on this episode of Horror Nights in Podcast, we are delving into the 2003 horror film Wrong Turn. I'll be giving you the Rotten Tomatoes IMDb score, then delving deep into the plot, characters, and my overall honest and horrific opinion of the film. So thank you all to uh, all of you who have voted for the film this week. Uh, The past week, I feel like I've been able to do the most productive in terms of my podcast, especially with the upload of my YouTube video and taking a more active approach to my Instagram. I really, really enjoy the space I've created and really want to take a second to say thank you again for all of your continued support on both a personal and a podcast level. Um, So for those of you who do not follow me on Twitter, I recently recently ended my relationship with someone I thought was my end-all be-all and he proved to be none of that. Uh, So I with that I wanted each of you, I wanted to tell each of you to tell someone in your life that you love and that you appreciate them. It doesn't need to be a significant other. It could be your mom, your dad, your kid, whoever, aunt, uncle, cousins. Just make sure the people in your life know that they're appreciated. So we don't want to delve too much into that because um, it is personal, but I wanted to share that with you guys because a lot of you um, reached out to me on Twitter and, you know, were said some very kind words, so I truly appreciate that, guys, and I really appreciate the continued support um, and everybody who commented and subscribed and liked my YouTube video from last week. Um, thank you so much. Uh, YouTube has been something that I've wanted to try for many, many years. Um, I've been watching YouTube since I was 18 years old. Um, and I'm really excited to bring you guys more content. I literally just did another YouTube video right before I did this podcast. Um, so if you want to watch that, it'll be out Wednesday. Um, so yeah, let's get into the podcast. I don't think I have anything else to talk about. Um, just make sure that you are subscribed to the YouTube channel and make sure um, you follow me on all my socials 
<laughs> and thanks so much for being here. Okay, so wrong turn. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave this film a 40% with 54% of the audience liking it. IMGB gave it a 6.1 out of 10. So Wrong Turn was released May 30th, 2003 with a running time of 95 minutes. It was directed by Rob Schmidt and it was written by Alan B. Elroy, Adam Cooper, and Bill College. Director Robert Schmidt also worked on Hellraiser, Deader. Um, so a quick IMDb synopsis before we get into the trailer is six people find themselves trapped in the woods of West Virginia, hunted down by cannibalistic mountain men, grossly disfigured through generations of inbreeding. All right. So let's uh, watch the trailer or listen to the trailer. Yeah. I just found this tied to a tree back there. Somebody did this. So that trailer was a little more visual than I expected. Um, so yeah, let's 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 move on. <laughs> um, so I don't want to delve too much into my opinion of the cast, but it's one of my top favorite casts in horror because Elijah Dushka and Desmond Harlington um, are in the film. So Elijah Dushka uh, because she played Faith in the iconic TV show Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and Desmond Harrington because he played Detective Quinn in Dexter, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. Um, so Buffy and Dexter are definitely 
finally top. So um, I was really obviously excited when I was like, oh, I get to watch Wrong Turn again because my favorite people are in it. Um, Okay, so let's get into the episode. So our film starts with an aerial view of the woods of West Virginia and very ominous music with a couple, two rock climbers, scaling a very steep cliffside. We see that the guy has made it to the top first and teases his girlfriend for being slower. She's about halfway up when she loses her footing, slips, but it's caught by the rope. Her boyfriend then teases her for yelling for help because they are about 50 miles from anyone who could actually hear her to help her. He then disappears on the other side of the cliff while she is asking for him to pull her up as she struggles to reach the top. We then get a very quiet, ugh, noise from the boyfriend, which I don't think I ever heard until I rewatched this film. I assume it's because I rewatched the film with my headphones in. Um, the girlfriend is didn't hear that, is continuing to struggle, and asks him again to pull her up. Um, she then calls him by name, and then we see his body is now hanging off the side of the cliff, and a few drops of blood are falling onto the face of the girlfriend. His bloody hand is now the only thing you can see until someone rips him back and launches his body off of the cliff. Now, some unknown force is trying to pull her up now. So I like the attention to detail right here because a few seconds prior, we see that she wipes the blood off of her face and now it's just like a tiny tinge of red on her cheek is still visible. Uh, Also, just the awesome camera work during the scene, the angles really make it scarier and more anxiety um, because it's just so quick. It's like scene after scene, it's just cut back and forth. Uh, So the girlfriend, seeing that she is about to meet her demise, um, if she gets yanked any further up the cliffside, she takes out a knife and she cuts the rope, securing her safety. So she's now using her strength to try and reach another rope. She misses and then she falls and she lands right next to her dead boyfriend. So she's still alive, uh, but then she hears a very strange and shrill someone or something laughing and running through the trees. She's now running towards their car, but before she can reach it, someone or something pulls out a piece of barbed wire, tripping her and um, ripping her backwards. So that's the opening scene of Wrong Turn. Um, This scene then cuts to the opening with various black and white newspaper articles, textbook explaining the setting, which is in West Virginia, uh, the legend of some kind of mountain men, inbreeding, a genetic mutation. We get quick shots of the woods. Um, We also see the demise of our rock climbers. Uh, We also see a bunch of missing persons posters. And then we quickly shift to our main character, Chris Flynn, who is traveling in Greenbrier back country west virginia uh he is messing with the car radio and we hear on the radio that the couple in the opening scene their names were uh richard stoker and Haley smith from bluefield state college who have been missing since last thursday when they didn't return from their rock climbing trip uh so chris then rounds a corner and sees in front of him a just a huge line of stopped cars and trucks and an ambulance and police cars speeding past him He then looks at his watch, gets pissed, shuts off his car, and starts walking towards one of the semi-trucks. He finds out from the truck driver that a tractor-trailer jackknifed about five miles and spilled chemicals all over the road, and the cleanup will take a couple of hours. He then tells the truck driver he needs to get to Raleigh tonight, and the truck driver sasses him and tells him to get into his car and fix his hair a couple more hundred times. 
Chris then walks away and thanks the driver. Chris, getting irritated, pulls a U-turn in the middle of the road and turns around away from the traffic. So he is now on the phone with someone named Doris, leaving a message. We learn that he has an interview and is running about 30 minutes late. Uh, But before he can finish the message, the phone beeps and he has no signal. He then sees a road that might cross over to where he needs to get to and quickly turns down it. He then turns into a gas station to try and use a non-working payphone from the gas station attendant who is super dirty, has about four teeth, and he's chugging Pepto-Bismol from the bottle. He then asks the owner if he knows of any other route heading south, and the owner gas station attendant, the same guy, um, he says nope. Kristen walks over to a map and asks why Bear Mountain Road is dotted, and um, the gas station attendant says it's because it's a dirt road. Kristen notices that it runs into the highway after about 15 or 20 miles. Uh, Kristen tells the man to take care, and he drives off. The man then says, you're the one who's going to... Oh, I cannot speak right now. He says, you're the one who's going to need to take care. <laughs> this cliche is in the film. Our music to my American horror soul. Um, the no service and the ominous, uh, ominous gas station attendant owner. Um, if you guys listen to my last podcast, you know that I'm just a stickler for the cliche American horror genre films. So this is just right up my alley. Uh, Chris is now on the dirt road when he comes to a fork in the road. He sees a street sign that reads Bear Mountain Road and turns down it. So back in the early 2000s, and honestly, this is me still sometimes, we had CDs and some sometimes these CDs would get scratched, causing them to skip. And that's what happened to Chris' CD that he was listening to. He takes his CD out and puts in a new one, but then his eye catches a dead deer on the side of the road who was gutted. He then adjusts his back mirror and suddenly, with full force, collides into an SUV in the middle of the road, sending bikes and camping equipment everywhere. The owners of the vehicle and friends all come running to see the damage. They ask if Chris is okay, then realize that both cars are completely totaled. So now we meet the rest of the cast, Jesse, Carly, uh, Scott, Franny, and Evan, who tell Chris that the reason their car was in the middle row is because they hit some barbed wire. Um... Jesse, my favorite character, played by uh, Elijah Duska, quickly figures out that the barbed wasn't put there on accident, but it was actually tied to a tree. Jesse then wants to go find a phone, but Jess tells her, or Chris tells her that the one at the gas station doesn't even work. Franny, the owner of the vehicle, who uh, doesn't want to leave her boyfriend, who doesn't want to leave the car, so her and her boyfriend Evan decide to stay behind and smoke weed. Um, so once again, cliche number three, we got a bunch of stoner potheads, totally fine with that. Uh, Jesse then asks Chris if he's hurt and then throws him some camping equipment and dubs him the mule when he says he's not hurt. So I really do love Elijah. Just, I just love her character. She really is my role role model. (laughs) Um, so now we are off with our friends and Chris who are walking to look for help. Chris then asks Scott what they were doing out there, and he says they were out there camping, but then they got lost. Um, So then we cut back to Franny and Evan, who are now lying on top of the SUV, finishing off their joint, and are being watched by someone or something in the woods. Um, So 
I don't know if there's a proper term for that kind of camera use. So basically what I'm talking about is when we are the ones who are kind of hiding in the woods, the viewers, technically the, you know, the monster, whatever it is. Um, so if there's a proper name for that, let me know. Tweet me at Whore Daddies R Us because I just, I want to use proper terminology here. here. So um, yeah. So now the friend group is apparently heading back to where the gas station is uh, to look at the map. Uh, we then get a little background on Chris, and apparently he went to medical school. Franny and Evan are now discussing how they should have taken Jesse to New York, but apparently Jesse loves the outdoors, and she was recently dumped. <laughs> feel you girl I feel you um Franny then decides to do an experiment in probability theory basically she wants to give her boyfriend a blowjob in the middle of the road um the probability that people show up uh so back with Carly and Scott they're discussing their wedding plans with Scotty wanting to just elope but Carly quickly vetoes that uh the group then sees a pile of something on fire a few feet into the woods and calls out for someone but no one calls back Chris assumes that there are people nearby and they need to keep moving so Franny and Evan's theory did not work because they are still alone and not having sex anymore. And they're going through Chris's um, stuff in his car. Evan is then putting on more bug spray. He then hears a rustling in the woods and goes to see what it is. Franny notices that Evan is gone because, of course, he has wandered off by himself. So um, Jesse is now asking Chris if he's getting any kind of cell reception and questions why he didn't just fly to Raleigh. But then we learn that he put all his money into the car that he had just totaled. So back with Franny, she is still looking for Evan when she spots his shoe a few feet into the woods and then she hears a rustling. As this is all happening, we are switching back to Scotty, who's played by Jeremy Sisto, who is in Hangman. Um, so as he's talking about what kind of band to have at their wedding, he soon realizes that he's all alone. Um, Franny then spots Evan's ripped off ear laying on the ground. She slowly backs up and we get our first kill um, that we can actually see because the other kills were off camera. Someone is standing behind Franny and takes barbed wire and wraps it around her face and mouth and pulls her backwards. So Scotty is still trying to find uh, Carly and he gets a little scare um, when she jumps out of the woods and she's laughing. So with Chris and Jesse a little further ahead, they see that the trail has gone cold and there's nothing but dead ends all around. The group is still in high spirits even though they've reached a dead end as they head back to... Um, Franny and Evan, but before they can get there, they find another road that brings them to a house, but it's not the most welcoming house with its rusted old cars and bicycles surrounding it. Jesse doesn't have the best feeling about it, but Chris is desperate and goes inside the house, followed by Carly to pee and then Scotty and then Jesse. Scotty then mentions the film Deliverance, which focuses on four city slickers who go canoeing on the backwoods of America and go through a psychologically and physically uh, physical journey. But the friends ignore Scotty and they go inside. Um, and inside is a very, very nasty living space, which we can assume is uh, belongs to the inbreed mountain men. Jesse then spots a bowl um, filled with different keys while Carly and Scotty go find a bathroom. 
Uh, Jesse and Chris are still looking for a phone, but they get distracted by things that don't quite fit in with the squalor of the home, like a music box, tons of sunglasses, a room full of camping equipment. Um, Carly is finally able to find a bathroom, and Chris finds the kitchen, and he hears some kind of motor running, which I believe is like a generator. Um, So this is the scene that does a lot of cutting back and forth between the characters. Like, Carly sees a jar of teeth. Jesse sees a satchel with arrows in it. So it's basically building suspense until Carly spots something in the bathtub. And it's a human hand. And Jesse finds a barbed wire. And they're basically like, we need to get the F out of here. Um, So they're now to the front of the house when they see that someone has arrived home and is pulling into the driveway. Uh, Chris remembers seeing a back door, so now they are all running towards it, but it is a dead end. We also see that the inbreed's vehicle of choice is a tow truck, and the friend's SUV is hooked up to the back of it. So now with the friend's trap, the inbreed's are making their way inside. So we aren't sure exactly where everyone is hiding, but Chris and Jesse seem to be under a table or a bed, and Carly and Scott are somewhere else. The inbreed then drops a dead Franny right in front of where Chris and Jesse are hiding. And we get a full in-your-face shot of Franny, wide-eyed and bloody, with the barbed wire still wrapped around her head. Jesse and Chris are now trying to cover their mouths and their reactions to stay quiet as the blood from Franny is now pulling on the ground and making its way towards the two. We still haven't seen what these inbreds look like, and I assume they don't really know English, um, so their communication is mostly hand movements, grunting, and one of them is um, a very high-pitched laugher. <laughs> um, one of them picks up Franny and lays um, her on another table and begins sawing into her. Uh, So now we are starting to see the little glimpses of the inbreeds, and they definitely aren't pretty. Um, One then leans his shotgun against the table or the bed where Chris and Jesse are are hiding. And of course, one shotgun shell like falls on the ground and lands right next to where they were hiding. So the inbreed's hand is only inches away from where they are, but um, he finds a shell without finding Chris or Jesse. We then see that Carly and Scotty are hiding in in some like in the back in some kind of closet, and we see they basically see their friend just getting chopped up on the table. Um, it now must be like a couple hours later, and the camera pans to a very hacked up Franny who has one leg left and no arms, and there are three sleeping inbreeds. Um, we see Chris and Jesse are now slowly making um, they're making their way out from under the hiding spot and monitoring. Uh, motioning for the others to follow. As Carly and Scotty are trying to get to the other side of the cabin to the front door where their friends are, Carly hits something on the ground with her foot, but the inbreed stays sleeping. Jesse then opens the door and goes to leap through the screen door, but the spring coil is old and begins squeaking very loudly. Chris quickly grabs the spring coil so it doesn't make any noise, and it cuts his hand as the others are able to get out safely. But before he can join them, he looks over and sees that one inbreed has opened his eyes and is now watching him. Chris quickly lets go of the spring and runs up a dirt hill back to the woods with the others. Um, they then see the inbreeds are leaving in their pickup truck to go find them. So the group is now sprinting through the woods and Carly trips and falls and pretty much has a nervous breakdown, but Scotty, being her fiance, tries to calm her down. They are all running through the woods again, and they come to a clearing, and it's basically a graveyard of cars that belong to the people that the inbreds have killed. Um, Cars just um, pulled apart, blood all over the hood, inside the trucks. Um, 
inside their trunks before they can figure out if any of the cars actually work they hear the uh they hear a car approaching uh they quickly crouch down behind some cars and wait it's the inbreds they then get out of their tow truck and we see that it's three of them in total and they're sniffing the air almost like they can sniff out humans um so each one is also armed one has has a bow and arrow one has a shotgun and i think another one has like a knife and an axe um Chris then sees that their truck is still running and Scotty then has a plan that one of them needs to distract them so the other ones can get into the truck. Uh, the truck. Chris volunteers his tribute and starts running towards the woods yelling and but one inbreed then shoots him square in the ha- calf and he falls. The inbreds are now running towards Chris and he is yelling for the others to run to the truck. Scotty then runs in the other directions to get their attention away from Chris, and the inbreed shoots at him too. Chris then grabs his belt and wraps it around his calf as Jesse and Carly help him run to the truck. As Jesse opens the door, the dead body of Evan falls out. So, we know what happened to their friend. Scotty is now sprinting through the woods as another inbreed is chasing the truck um, the three are inside of now. So now it's like the truck is parallel to Scotty as they spot him and yell for him to get into the truck. But then he's he stops unsuspectingly and the friends realize that he has actually been shot through the chest with three bow and arrows. Um, he then falls to the ground and he dies. Carly's obviously freaking out. Chris yells for Jesse to drive as another arrow comes flying into their direction. Um, so then we get this like aerial shot of Scotty's dead body and the three inbreeds like standing around him and the two bigger ones then grab each of Scotty's arms and they drag him through the forest. So Carly is now begging for them to go back uh, for Scotty, but Jesse is telling her that they need to keep going. Jesse then asks if this is the right road from the map, and Chris responds that it has to go somewhere before they can get to any kind of safety. They see fallen trees in front of them, and of course the truck gets stuck in the mud. Uh, They all quickly get out because they need to find out where they are, but Carly is just resisting. She She just has given up. Uh, Jesse then gives her a quick pep talk and Chris comes back with a walking stick and holds his hand out for her. So as the setting is, the sun is setting, they know they need to find the road so they can find some kind of safety. So as Chris is walking, his walking stick actually hits a bear trap that goes flying into the air. Carly then starts laughing because honestly, it's like, what else can you really do in this situation? Like you just saw your fiance get killed. Your friends are being hunted by these inbreds who obviously have these like booby traps set up like all over the forest for anybody that's walking or any kind of animal. Um, so they just have no idea where they are. They have no source of transportation, nothing to protect them against this band of like crazy killing inbreeds or who are just hunting them in the woods. Um, They keep going, but stop when Chris needs to rest. Carly then spots a watchtower a few feet away from then. Um, She then starts yelling for anybody that might be up there, but Chris wants to see if there's a radio or a phone just to see if they can see a road of any kind. So once inside, uh, they look out the window and see that there are no towns. There's no roads. There's literally nothing. It's just the backwoods of West Virginia for miles and miles and miles Um, Chris tells them to back away from the window and has given up all hope that they're going to survive at this point. Um, They then start looking around the watchtower for things that could help. Jesse finds a first aid kit to help Chris with his gunshot wound on his calf, and Carly finds emergency glow sticks and a radio. Jesse quickly gets on the radio and calls for help, but Chris looks outside to see the inbreds are coming and that they um, they have fire, but Chris thinks they are passing. 
But unfortunately, before the inbreeds can pass, the radio gives off a shrill feedback noise and alerts the inbreeds of their location. They are able to contact a ranger base emergency station, but it's no use. The inbreeds heard them. They're coming now. Um, Chris and Jesse are able to cover the hatch with a big metal thing. And just when you think they might be leaving, Chris realizes that the inbreeds have taken their fire and lit the watchtower on fire and that they are basically trapped at this point. Carly then grabs something to smash the window, and Chris is able to see there are branches below um, so they can try to escape on. Um, he then basically, without even any hesitation, jumps from the burning watchtower and is able to land on some of the branches below. Carly and Jesse are then after him and are also to jump onto the branches below. So now we have Chris on the higher branch and Carly and Jesse below him closer to the trunk of the tree. Jesse then asks if they saw them and gets her answer when, it, of course, an arrow comes flying towards them because, of course, the inbreeds see them and can find them. Um, so now we see that there's two big, bigger inbreeds and one smaller one. We see that the smaller of the inbreeds is now climbing uh, the giant tree to get to the group. Um, and it looks like a race, it's, it's like a race against time, but also trying to be expert tree climbers in a matter of seconds while three inbreeds are shooting arrows at your feet. Um, so it's just very anxiety inducing. Um, but then we get one of my most favorite kill scenes of all time. Carly getting an axe to the face and the bottom half of her face and body falling down to the bottom of the forest floor. I will never forget that kill. It is one of my favorite kills. Um, I like the effects of her eyes as the axe is pretty much severing her brain from the rest of her body. Um, it is absolutely one of my favorite kills of all time in any horror movie ever. Um, so Jesse and Carly watch as Carly's, or I'm sorry, Jesse and Chris watch as Carly's body falls and quickly get away from the scene as, of course, a smaller inbreed is following them. But Chris has a plan. They're able to get themselves into a position where Jesse is holding onto the tree branch in a slingshot sort of slingshot sort of method, and Chris is running to the, to distract the smaller inbreed. But Jesse leaves Chris to go and distract the inbreed instead, claiming she can move faster than Chris because she doesn't have a bullet in her calf. Um, she then gives us a little Jennifer Love Hewitt. I know what you did last summer moment when she tells the inbreed to come and get her. She's like, "Come and get me! I'm right here." Um, he then pops up behind her. She falls, and Chris is able to slingshot the tree branch and knock him out of the tree. So the other two inbreeds find the smaller inbreed, and I believe he is dead, but we're really not sure because they kind of, like, yell into the air. Um, so with just Chris with just Chris and Jesse left, they find some refuge behind a waterfall as they watch the fire from the other inbreeds walk away in the distance. Uh, Jesse then explains to Chris how she came home last Friday to a message on her answering machine from her boyfriend breaking things off with her. And within 20 minutes of her telling Carly, she had Scott, Franny, and Evan all blowing off work that week to go camping with her, and now they're all dead. So obviously this is a little bit of a refuge moment. Um, we get a little bit of the backstory of why they're there and, you know, what happened. Um, Chris then tries to console her, and they both eventually do fall asleep. Um, Jesse then has a nightmare of one of the inbreeds coming at her with an axe. Um, so they're now on the move again, and they spot a road, but they have a huge hill that stops them from getting there safely. But, of course, before anything can happen, an axe comes out of nowhere um, and, and, like, 
goes into a tree, and the two inbreeds are back for revenge. Um, one comes from behind Jesse, grabs her, while the other one elbows Chris in the face, and he falls down this huge hill. Um, Chris finally then, he's able to get up, and he spots a police car coming down the road he spotted earlier. He's able to get the attention of the car, and we realize that it was the ranger who they were able to contact in the watchtower. But, of course, before anybody can save anybody or radio to anybody, um... And Breed shoots an arrow right through the eye of the ranger, and the ranger's dead. Uh, Chris then jumps into the car, and of course, there's no keys. Um, as the inbred is pulling back another arrow, he shoots it through the windshield. Uh, Chris then jumps out of the car, and is pull, um, he's pulling himself um, under the car. I'm sorry. Um, he jumps out of the car, and he gets himself uh, under the car. He then looks over and sees the gun on the holster of the dead ranger and the feet of one of the inbreds circling around the car now. He then reaches down and picks up the keys to the cop car. He then sniffs the air, looks under the car, but Chris is now hiding in the woods a few feet away. The inbreed then picks up the dead ranger and throws him into the back of the, uh, the car like a rag doll. Uh, Chris then quickly crawls out of the woods and he hooks himself under the car as the inbreed drives away. So back in the inbreed's house, we see that Jessie is still alive, but she is tied on the bed with a gag in her mouth. So inbreed number two is just about to either cut her or kill her when we hear a car approaching, and it's inbreed number one um, who is back in the, the, um, the cop car. Chris slowly lowers himself down as both are now bringing the dead ranger inside. They put him on a table, and of course they start hacking him as Jessie is just continuing to scream for help. Um, inbred one then motions to inbred two to kill Jesse, but before he can do that, the front door explodes in fire and Chris rams the cop car into the unsuspecting inbred number two. He then jumps out of the car and throws a, um, multi-cocktail at inbred number one who catches his arm on fire. Chris then grabs the knife and slashes inbred number one in the stomach and he falls to the ground. Chris then rushes over to Jesse to untire, but of course inbred number one is still alive and throws Chris off of Jesse into the other side of the cabin. Inbreed number one now grabs an axe and is chasing Chris with it, nearly missing him each time. Jesse then spots an arrow, um, a bow and arrow a few feet away from her. Inbreed number one now has Chris up in a chokehold, but Jesse is able to snap the bow and the arrow and shoot inbreed number one in the back of the head. Chris then runs over to Jesse to help her with, uh, to get her foot out we see the smallest inbreed is actually still alive, and he starts whacking Chris with a piece of wood. Um, Jesse then grabs a piece of wood that's on fire, hits him on the back, and then Chris grabs a chain, wraps around the neck of the inbreed while Jesse grabs an axe and goes full faith of the vampire slayer and gets him right in the heart. Um, Chris then grabs the shotgun as each of the three inbreeds, of course, are still alive. Um, so Chris and Jesse are now slowly backing out of the house and there's only one shot left in the shotgun, but thankfully there are gas tanks on the back of the cop car that Chris shoots at which, uh, causes the entire cabin to blow up with the three injured inbreeds inside. Uh, Jesse and Chris are now driving in the inbreeds pickup truck and are back to where the fork in the road was. And they actually run over the sign for Bear Mountain Road. 
They then make their way to the gas station we saw in the beginning of the film. The same gas station attendant is there, but this time he shuts the door as the tow truck approaches and watches as Chris gets out and rips down the map he looked at just a few days before. He then gets back in the car and Jesse nods to him as they drive away. Like, good job. Um, We then get a little clip at the end with a new ranger coming to the scene of the burnt down cabin and finding the decapitated body of the other ranger. And of course, we see the outline of the little inbreed behind him with an axe. And then we just get like a a nasty like zoom into like this guy's like this inbreed's like demented burnt face. (laughs) Um, And then the film ends. So now it's time for my favorite part of the show. It's my honest and horrific time. So as I said in the beginning, the cast is one of my favorite in horror films. And I really, really do enjoy this film a lot. I've seen it many, many times over the years. And I really think that it has that standing power to capture all audiences for a long time. Um, One thing I'm going to say, though, is this poor cast could not catch any kind of break when it came to surviving. Um, Yes, they did survive. At least two of them did. But they really, really had to fight for it. I just felt like every single time that they have maybe had gotten some kind of leeway, it was just within seconds. It was just shot to shit. I mean, the ranger showed up. And dead two seconds later. Um, the keys, not where they're supposed to be. The inbred gets it immediately. Um, you know, just the cars being totaled. But I, that happens in every horror movie, of course. No service. That's normal. That is what it is. But I really just feel like they were just getting hammered, like, left and right. Like, they literally had no protection. They had nothing. The only kind of, like, refuge they had were those couple hours that they had fallen asleep behind or in the waterfall after everybody was dead. Um... You know, when they got to the watchtower, they didn't even have, like, a couple seconds or, like, one night in the watchtower before the inbreeds found them. Um, you know, that could have been, like, their saving grace at the time. But it was – and then they then they had to, like, jump out of the watchtower because it was just getting burned They were or they would have gotten burned alive. Like, there was just so many things that um, – that I feel like I'm like okay like they're gonna be okay now and then they would just get pummeled like pummeled one after the other it was just like you're like rooting for them and they just cannot catch a break and even at the end of the film when they literally blow up the cabin there's still no like they're still alive and I actually didn't know this until um someone on twitter I apologize I cannot I don't have my phone with me right now um he commented on, or it was a user comment. I don't know if I, I believe it was a guy. He commented on my, one of my posts about the film and he says something about like shame about all the sequels or something. And I remember I looked it up and I was like, oh my God, there's a wrong turn six. <laughs> I didn't even know that they had made a sequel at all. Um, so I actually, to, to this date of this podcast, I have not watched any of uh, the other wrong turns. Um, I, I, I have to assume they're probably not all that great, um, but who knows? Maybe they're really good. Um, let me look and see. Let's just do this right here. Let's just do a live with you guys. I apologize if you're going to hear me typing. Um, wrong turn. I just want to see like the synopsis of it. Wrong turn two. Um, let's see. And it kind of just says the same thing. Let me go on like IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes. Wrong. I just want to see like who's in it and stuff. Wrong turn two. Oh, so this actually. Oh, nope. That's not right. 
Kong turn two. Hello, computer. There it is. Came out in 2007, so it was a little while after this one. Uh, wrong turn two, dead end. This is called unrated. Um, this is a very long... Uh, very long synopsis from Rotten Tomatoes. The Malformed Mayhem continues as a group of reality game show contestants is sent into the West Virginia wilderness in order to participate in an, an apocalypse-themed game show only to be brutally killed off, a off by a deranged clan of redneck cannibals. Dale Murphy is a formal, for formal special forces soldier. <laughs> Apparently can't say that. Who now hosts a reality show in which contestants must struggle to survive in the wilderness with few resources and only their wits to guide them. After the members of the group are split up into partners, they are sent into the woods to locate supplies that have been strategically hidden by the show's producers. Should they fail to achieve this and various other tasks, uh, they will be sent back to civilization and shame all the others vie for a substantial crass prize but the cameras aren't the only things watching as the competition heats up because within these woods dwells a terrifying secret later as the day goes on the body count begins to multiply both the contestants and the hard-nosed host must fight to avoid becoming the catch of the day for family of hungry blah, 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 blah. okay interesting so let's see what the wrong turn three is <laughs> this is what this is going to be this is what this podcast has turned into guys i'm just trying to figure out what um the synopsis of all these films are. So Wrong 3 is called Left for Dead. Um, in opening, it's open season on teenagers as Three Finger and his cannibalistic clan of inbreed mutants hunt a group of hikers through the backwoods. When a prison transport bus crashes nearby, the fleeing convicts become the next items on the list. Okay, is there anybody in this? Yeah, I don't know who any of these people are. Okay, so that's pretty good. Let's see. Wrong. Guys, this was not planned at all. I hope this is entertaining. I hope that you're all still listening. Wrong turn three. Oh, wait. I just did that wrong. Wrong turn four. <laughs> um, it's just called wrong turn four. Um, college students take shelter in an abandoned hospital after a giant snowstorm forces them to rethink their vacation plans for winter break. Um, now they must fight for their lives as psychos who used to live there try and kill them all. I don't, is that? Okay, yeah. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Wrong turn for a bloody beginning. So maybe it's like a prequel. Um, let me see. I don't know how many of these people are. Uh, let's go to wrong turn six, five. I don't even know what I'm on for. Yeah, five. Um, wrong turn five came out in 2012. It's called wrong turn five bloodlines unrated. Um, as swarms of costume college students ascend on a secluded West Virginia town for the annual mountain man festival, a hungry clan of inbreed cannibals prepares to feast like Kings um, Doug Bradley, Roxanne McKee, and Camilla Afweedson star. I don't know how many of those people are. That came out in 2012. Um, okay. Maybe there's not wrong turn six. Maybe I was wrong. <laughs> wrong turn. By the way, none of these really have. Oh, actually this. Yeah, no. None of these really have any like, um. Right. Oh, yeah, there is wrong turn six. Last resort. This came out in 2014. Um, of course, all these audience scores are really, really low. A sudden and mysterious inheritance brings Danny and his friends to Hop Springs, a forgotten resort deep in the West Virginia hills. Hop Springs is being looked 
after under the watchful eye of Jackson and Jackson and Sally, a socially awkward couple who introduced Danny to the long lost family he's never known. Soon Danny is forced to choose between his friends and his bloodline. Uh, okay, interesting. Um, so I probably, if anything, I would probably watch like maybe Wrong Turn Five. But the other one, maybe, maybe the second one. The second one sounded all right. But either way, none of them obviously will uh, hold up to the first one, the original one. Um, so, yes. So, there's not a ton of stuff on Wikipedia. Um, it kind of just goes through. It's a 2003 Canadian-German-American horror film. <laughs> That's a lot. Um and then it kind of just says when it was released, and then it goes through the plot, the cast, and then apparently, I think, the smaller inbreed, his name is Three Fingers, um, and there's also, uh, so there's Sawtooth is one of the inbreed's names, um, and then One Eye and Three Fingers. So I believe those are the names of the inbreeds. I'm looking at that now. So yeah, that's interesting. Um, Let's see what else it says. Um, In October 2018, a reboot was announced, um, is in development. The film will be written by series creator Alan B. McElroy and director Mike P. Nelson is chosen to direct it. Principal uh, photographer for the movie will begin on September 9th, 2019. Um, and Charlotte Vega will star in the reboot. So that's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, so let's see who Charlotte Vega is. I'm not really familiar with that name. Um, let me see if I know her from anything. I assume that she's going to be playing, um, Jessie. Charlotte. This is a very different kind of podcast that we're doing right now, but it's okay. (laughs) I really wasn't playing. Oh yeah. I don't know who that is. Um, Let's look up Wrong Turn Reboot. Wrong Turn Reboot. You know, I said in my YouTube video that my um, that my podcast was a lot more organized um, than my YouTube channel, but this is not exactly the truth with this current episode. So there is an article um, from scared, uh, ScreenDaily.com written by Tom Grader. Um, that was, came out in May. Um, yeah, it's Charlotte Vega to star in the Wrong Turn reboot. Interesting. Interesting. So there's not a ton of information on the reboot. I did find another article from denofgeek.com. Obviously, all the articles that I'm mentioning will be, um, everything will be linked in the show notes. So if you guys want to read these. Um, so it seems... Okay, so the article says Wrong Turn franchise launched with the 2003 theatrical released original movie directed by Rob Schmidt. The film establishes a presence that, or a premise that could be described as the hills have eyes in the woods following the frightening. Oh, okay, that's just talking about. I thought, okay. So I wonder if they're going to kind of do like what Cabin Fever did. Um, They're going to use like pretty much the same script. I mean, I don't think that they'll do that. I've actually never heard of a lot of filmmakers doing that thing. They kind of take the original skeleton of the story and then kind of twist things here and there. They use, like, obviously, like, they'll still use the three inbreeds and then um, 
you know, Chris is the motorist who runs into their car, and then the college students, of course, probably going to be boobs in the remake, but that's okay, whatever. Um, so yeah, there's not a ton of information on um, the reboot of Wrong Turn. Of course, I'm curious to see it. Um, I always like reboots of movies, um, especially films that I really do enjoy, so that should be interesting. But yes, overall, this, as I said, this film is one of my favorite horror films to watch. Um, I definitely feel a lot of nostalgia when I watch Wrong Turn because I watched it when I was younger. Um, around the same, not obviously not exactly the time that it came out, but I do remember being interested in watching this film because of Elijah Dushko was in it. Um, and I was a huge fan. I've been a huge fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer since I was in like, oh God, I think I was in like third grade when I was watching it. (laughs) Um, and I always really liked, um, her as Faith, and I feel like she kind of plays sort of the same badass character in Wrong Turn, except for she doesn't have the vampire slayer ability. Of course, she's just a a normal college human being. So now I want to move on to the inbreeds of the film. Um, I thought they were very scary. Um, It was very kind of Hills Have Eyes a little bit, which I don't like that film um so but I mean obviously I don't need to talk about that but um the the three inbreeds were literally the epitome of what you would imagine um would be you know centuries of just genetic mutation um you know inbreeding things like that um what they would look like um So as I said, I didn't watch the other ones, so I don't know if there's any kind of back history as to how they came to be. I know that one, it was kind of like a prequel, maybe, Um, but they were very scary. Um, Definitely, like I said, just the epitome of what you would imagine these things to look like in the backwoods of West Virginia. So another part that I wanted to touch on in the film not not that I had a problem with it, but there was never a sense of how far from the fork in the road they were. So there was never a sense of like how long Chris was driving um, from when he went to the fork in the road down Bear Mountain Road because I feel like they got themselves way deep into the woods when I feel like all they had to do was take the one road up and then they would have been back to the fork in the road, and then they would have been by the gas station, which was, I assume, not that far from where that main road was. Um, so that part of the film is kind of confusing, but I know it's a, it's a movie, so I have to just kind of accept it, and that's just how it was. That's just how it be. I get that. Um, but what the, the whole time I was watching the, the film again um, for the podcast, I was like, why can't they just walk back up like to the gas station and then walk to the highway instead of getting going deeper into these West Virginia woods. Um, I mean, obviously we can assume that they thought they would run into some kind of, you know, road or people, hikers, whatever the case may be. Um, but I just don't know why from where they, where their cars collided or from where Chris's car hit their car, why didn't they just walk the direction that that he drove from. Um, so unless I missed something, but I don't think that I did. 
So another thing um, that I was thinking after this film ended was what happened with Chris and Jesse? Because if you've listened to my podcast, um, if you, you know that I always want to know, like, what happens to them after? Where do they go? Who are they? Do they become a different person? So, like, after they steal the inbreeds uh, tow truck, did they, like, get back on the highway and then just, like, get a hotel and just like take a shower and then like go their separate ways do they become this like power couple is jesse still in college like what's what's actually like gonna happen after because it's not really told whether jesse i i assume that she's probably like a senior in college um but like what do you do do you just like take yourself off the whole map do you just like live this like you know this hermit life with chris now um like what happens after like I can just I always try and think I did it with the summer of 84 like what would happen um if a sequel were to come out um of course this film does have multiple sequels but um I just I like to I'm always fascinated by these characters like are you gonna go back to leading a normal life you can't you can't after you've dealt with all this stuff and it's not like you can like go tell someone what happened. You could probably, um, I don't know, like what do you do? Do you keep that stuff to yourself? Do you go to the police? Do you try to explain it to them? Do you go to like the ranger station and try to explain it to them? So, or do you just not tell anybody and just, that's just how it'd be the rest of your life? I don't know. <laughs> um, so I always think about those things after I finish a horror film, especially with the survivors, um, because obviously before this, Chris and Jesse didn't know each other. And now they're like bonded together by this horrific thing that happened to them. Um, so I always think about those things. And when I when I was writing my notes, I thought that I thought that, too. I was like, it's like, I wonder what's going to happen I wonder what happened to the to them in like the, you know, the horror movie realm of fantasy and the after a movie's done. Um, so I did obviously really like this film, as I said before. I was really rooting for the characters to survive. Um, the characters made a lot of good decisions. Um, they were very smart with their decisions. And I really like the film also because it makes you think of what would I do in these kinds of situations? Like, and I feel like a lot of horror films do that. Any horror film you watch, you're like, oh my God, like, what would I do in that situation? Or like, what would I have this like fight or flight mentality? And it's really interesting to see um, how they really did fight like tooth and nail until the very end of this film. Um, and they were obviously able to get out um, somewhat <laughs> unscathed. Um, but it's one of those films. It's like, what do you do when you are, you know, trapped in a closet when there's like these sleeping inbreds that literally just hacked up your friend? Like, what would you do? Or what would you do if you were in a watchtower that was on fire? Would you jump down 20 feet into the tree branches below or would you kind of just give up? Like, what would you do? Um, and so I, I really like that's what a lot of horror films do. They really just make you think of things like how would I survive this like what would I do personally for me I don't even know I don't really like to think about that stuff <laughs> um I feel like I would probably be I think I said this in another episode I feel like I would maybe make it through but I wouldn't survive 
<laughs> I feel like I would kind of make it through. Like I would, or I would be like one of those girls that goes out swinging. Like I'd be like, I would be the one who would sacrifice and like let everybody else live or something. I don't know. I, I don't know. I couldn't, I, I don't know. I don't particularly want to think of, of that. Um, so I think in my other episode, I actually said, um, that if I was ever driving on the road or something or, oh no, I'm sorry. This is for, never mind. That was for a YouTube video <laughs> that never made it to the light of day because I was so ashamed of it <laughs> in the YouTube video. I was actually talking about wrong turn and don't worry. It'll eventually be on my YouTube, but it's going to be a completely different setup the way that I first had it. I didn't like it at all. Um, I was talking about how this film makes me very nervous when I drive on, um, roads that are tree covered. Uh, even if I'm literally like buy a house or not, not like buy a house, but like if I know how to navigate, if I can literally see the other road that's, you know, has a bunch of cars on it, I always get paranoid that I'm going to like, um, run over the barbed wire or, um, I, I believe it was the Hills Have Eyes, um, when they were driving and there was like a, um, they like pushed a tree in front of their car so they couldn't continue driving. I think it might've been that one. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I always get very paranoid when it comes to that stuff. Um, all right guys. So I think that's going to be it for this episode of Horror Nights and Podcast. Obviously I am Crystal and, uh, thank you guys so much for tuning into another episode. Um, Roxy is actually laying right next to me right now. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, go listen to another one, binge it out, leave me a review, um, subscribe to my podcast and have the best week ever wherever you are and whatever you do remember to always give your honest and horrific opinion no matter what thank you guys so much for listening again and a new youtube video will be up on wednesday and noon eastern standard time all right guys uh talk to you later bye